and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a Scranton girl. Across Pennsylvania, candidates, their staffs, and volunteers are busily circulating nominating petitions. Now, you can open up a campaign bank account. You can have ads up on television or radio. You can have a website. You can have mail pieces. You can have all the trappings of a campaign. But if you can't get on the ballot, your campaign has major issues. After fundraising numbers, nominating petitions are the only public quantifiable way to gauge the strength of a candidacy. So we're going to get super granular on the process to circulate petitions, to contest your opponent's petitions, and much, much more with Adam Erickson. Adam runs a Philadelphia-based consultant shop. He's recently recognized as one of the top PA political operatives by city and state. He has lots of war stories from past petition seasons. Adam Erickson, welcome to my kitchen table. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Adam, I think we first met in 2014. It was a very different midterm election with Democratic president. So tell uh, tell folks a little about your background. Yeah, absolutely. So so I got started actually uh, in my in my mid to late 20s. I'd been in you know the service industry um, and wanted to get involved in government. I ended up taking an internship with then State Representative Brendan Boyle as I worked with him, both volunteering on the official side and also took an interest in. And on the uh, off hours, volunteering on the campaign side, notice a lot of kind of similarities to working in the restaurant industry to uh, with campaign side. So, so from that internship, ended up going from Virginia to to Baltimore to uh, New Jersey, working on different campaigns. Ended up back in 2013 uh, with Brendan Boyle, who gave me my first internship uh, managing his congressional race. From there, uh, we had a we had a huge victory that uh, that spring. Ended up. Uh, collapsing a 30-point uh, deficit um, for his victory. Uh, when you have a close relative of the uh, Clinton family on the ballot, it, it tends to draw some national attention. I went back to New Jersey, continued to work with Congressman Pallone, and then in 2016, uh, ended up starting Princeton Strategies. So the gear you're alluding to it, you're originally from New Jersey? Yes. Yeah. Born in uh, Princeton, New Jersey. Grew up actually just outside of Philadelphia in, uh, in Bucks County in Ben Salem. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, to, and just to tell listeners uh, a little about Princeton Strategies, I think, you know, Real Politicos, uh, which we have many who listen to the show are certainly familiar with uh, with your firm's work. But if you could share a little about uh, how your firm got started and what a typical week is like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So from from conception in, in 2016 to what we're doing now, there's been a lot of a lot of change along long road in with just in the past six years. But we so we started out doing almost kind of a coordinated campaign team. Uh, so we'd kind of manage different uh, different races from fundraising to field. And as, as we're getting different candidates elected, kind of grew our base of elected officials. Uh, over the past few years, we've transitioned to more just fundraising. Uh, we work with over a dozen elected officials in the state rep, state senate offices with their annual galas. And we still do probably about four to six campaigns each year from 
uh, Los Angeles to Georgia to uh, you know anywhere in between. But headquartered right in Center City, Philadelphia. Yep, we have a, we have an office here just right outside of a Rittenhouse, and now one other our satellite office in uh, uh, right between Montgomery County and Bucks County. Well, this is uh, what a difference a decade makes. Um, certainly different yeah, than uh, the restaurant industry. Well, we're going to plunge in. I was trying to think of a restaurant analogy, but I, I can't. I can't make one on the fly here, Adam. But we're going to plunge into the uh, nominating petition process, which you know many listeners probably have signed a petition uh, in recent days, but many probably have no idea what we're talking about. And you can't get on the ballot, um, and really, therefore, your campaign is worthless if you don't have your petition process in order. So maybe kind of look back, when was the first time you were introduced to this process? And, um, and then we'll certainly look forward and do a real deep dive. Yeah, I would say I would say the first time kind of really getting involved was with Brendan's Congressional. Um, I remember purchasing a lockbox. Those, those pages of signatures were like gold at the time. Uh, it's one of the few things that you can't repeat, can't make copies of. You have to, those original copies mean a lot. And then it digital age, we just don't deal with a lot of uh, paper material that means so much to us. Petition period in Pennsylvania is one of the few times that you can't, you don't get a redo. You, you have quarterly fundraising. If you didn't raise enough this quarter, raise more next quarter. If you didn't hit enough doors today, knock on some more doors tomorrow. If you don't get on the ballot, there's actually no second chance. If you get knocked off the ballot due to, and we might di- dive into that a little bit more due to a number of different reasons, or you don't get enough signatures to even file, there's no second chance. You will not appear on the primary ballot. And the wild thing is, is that extends from as, as basic of a level as being a committee person, where you only need to get 10 signatures from your direct neighbors to president of the United States. So you alluded to working on campaigns in, in Maryland and uh, New Jersey, if I heard you correctly. So tell listeners how the Pennsylvania process is unique and distinct. Uh, the candidates get on the ballot this way. It's fascinating as, you know, as a, as a union, as the United States, you know, there, there are similarities, be it sales tax, this, that, and the other. But typically when you go from one state to the other, you're in the United States, it's all very similar. And then our U.S. government or the federal government, you know, our U.S. senator uh, from Pennsylvania gets as many votes as a U.S. Senator from Oklahoma. And one would imagine, since their power is the same, getting on the ballot, getting elected would be the same. But every single state, even for the federal office, even for, and it made some national news because we had Kanye West. Um, A lot of people might have heard, anyone unfamiliar with the petition process might have heard something about in uh, 2020, the summer of 2020, uh, Kanye West popping up in different states and, and putting together different teams. That's exactly what we're talking about right now. He still, even as a presidential candidate, needed to qualify. Each state has a different process. For for instance, uh, Georgia, to get a, to run for Congress, you just have to file a check, some paperwork, and take it. You've got five days to, to file the paperwork and make a deposit. For some states, you have an either or where you can get a certain amount of signatures or pay a certain amount. Here in Pennsylvania, it's signatures are bust. You have to maintain uh, the rule of thumb here in Pennsylvania is you want about three times the amount of signatures. And the reason why is if someone signs your petition, maybe they, they put the wrong date for, for instance, or they put the address that they live in, but aren't registered in, those can be struck. So that's why a lot of campaigns will want to, if you need 300 signatures, you want to get 900. If you need 1,000, you want to get 3,000. Yeah, it's really the first 
quantifiable public way, I suppose, in addition to the the fundraising numbers uh, to see the strength and the organizing capabilities of the campaign. Okay, so it takes it takes two to tango. You need someone to circulate the petitions, and then you need folks to sign uh, the petitions. So which one do you want to talk about first? Sure, we can talk about the the circulating first. A joke here in Pennsylvania is that so it used to be someone had to live in that district, in that county, in that say municipality to circulate petitions. Recent case law is now providing that a registered person of that party can register, or as long as they are registered in the state of Pennsylvania, could circulate petitions. And by that, I mean, if someone was a registered Democrat in Pittsburgh, and they wanted to help their friend in Philadelphia get on the ballot, they could still come in and circulate petitions. Who are still excluded from circulating petitions? And we joke here in Pennsylvania that a lot of our uh, Republican U.S. Senate candidates couldn't even circulate their own signatures is because you do have to be registered in Pennsylvania. So, so a friend of yours in New Jersey would not be able to actually drive across the border and help collect signatures, sign the back with their address. So all those signatures could theoretically been, they, 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 they could just be thrown out if the person who was circulating them going door to door or standing outside of you know a, a giant or a Wegmans, that uh, could just be thrown out if the circulator is not a Pennsylvanian who's, re- who's, who's registered of that party. Absolutely. Absolutely. And by thrown out, uh, that can mean one of two different things. When after you have collected as many signatures as you need to qualify to, to get on the ballot, you take it to our, our capital. Now, depending on what race, if you are, say, running for a localized committee person, maybe a municipal judge in your county, those signatures would end up going to your county. For most offices uh, that we're going to be referring to, say, state house, congressional, presidential, those all go to our, our capital in Harrisburg. And when you take them there, they do take a scan. And by that, I mean, the, the example of someone from New Jersey circulating, if they signed with their New Jersey address, they could have collected a page, uh, will have 30 signatures front and back. Those 30 signatures would not qualify them to get on the ballot. The other process is even if you go to Harrisburg, file everything as they are scanning your papers, they give it a look. Everything looks good enough to them. They file. You still have a process uh, about 10 days after petitions are filed that other campaigns, other interested parties can look at your petitions and say, well, I, I see this got filed, but it looks like it's the same handwriting as maybe the person below that and the person below that. Actually, come to think about it, it looks like this whole page is in the same handwriting. And so then they might cha- challenge what is called like a, like a challenge to the petition filing in the courts. And that's the second round where people can get their petitions thrown off on. So there's lots and lots of war stories uh, from both parties, uh, from multiple offices over the years across Pennsylvania, f- folks in primaries trying to get their uh, their opponent knocked out. And we don't have to dwell on the past, but give some examples of what, you know, for example, would John versus Jonathan get a signature struck? So so that's a, that's a great example. Um, so, so that, for instance, a John versus Jonathan would not get struck, possibly a Jack instead of a John would be a, a tougher argument. And in those cases, say there's an apartment building and there's maybe a, a John, Jonathan, Jack, Jeff, you know, if there's a, a family that lives there, maybe doesn't have the apartment numbers, but that would be something that they would want to then argue. 
And what you'll have, and similar to the example of what if signatures look similar and such, there are actual uh, handwriting experts that you'll see you know, a person challenging a uh, filing a challenge will need to then call to the, to the court to make their case. Um, and it's also going through if someone, someone has circulated petitions, maybe they might use a falsified address. Maybe they don't live in the actual state or they're not registered uh, the party they, they want to be. They might use a different address and that would be on the challenger to both look up and then provide evidence to. And, and we've seen in the, in the past, as many as you know, over a thousand signatures get struck from from a campaign. We've seen campaigns from the uh, U.S. Senate down to in Philadelphia. It's always always kind of comical to to me if you you will, and a lot of people might not, especially those that have gotten knocked off their ballot, might not chuckle in the same, same way. But even at the committee level, where we're talking about ten signatures, some of those will go to a to a challenge. Will get um, petitioned and go to court. Because at a committee level, uh, th- those people hold a lot of power in voting for who their ward leaders, their municipal chair. That person has a say in their county chair. That person, as a county chair, will have say in who's getting different endorsements, or ward leaders will have say in who's who they'll be circulating for. And so, even even at the smallest level to the to the president, you'll see those those petitions come up in court. So something else, uh, when all this becomes public information in a few short days, campaigns are going to be looking at, and this is probably pretty granular, but if you start to see clusters, you know, so for example, if you're running, I suppose, for Congress and you have multiple townships or municipalities in the congressional district and all your signatures are clustered uh, in, you know, in, in one or two precincts, I suppose campaigns and reporters can read into that. But maybe you can you can speak to also the it's not necessary, but the importance of getting geographic diversity. Absolutely, similar to and we've, we've kind of touched on it briefly is the um, your quarterly filings, your different fundraising numbers. You're having to file those just legally, just as far as transparency, and you're having to raise money just to spend it. But there's also a uh, earned media aspect. You want to show strength in that. With the petitions, we're having to file to get on the ballot to physically check a box to to continue your campaign but there's also a earned media aspect there's there's a few different ways you can show strength kind of try to get a headline out of that uh, some campaigns will will file early typically in Pennsylvania you'll get about three weeks or exactly three weeks to file your petitions uh, we'll kind of get into some of the um, uh, unusualness to this this past year but you're able to within those three weeks, within the first day, file petitions. So sometimes a campaign will show, you know, if they need a thousand signatures in three weeks, they'll show that they've gotten the first thousand within the first few days. Or if for statewide, you have some some obstacles to to hurdle, which is getting, say, for like lieutenant governor, you need five different counties with a hundred signatures or more. So you might want to get, say, 20 different counties or 50 counties to, as you had mentioned, showing showing support from throughout the entire state. Um, if, if you're a congressional, a lot of congressionals will have a few different counties. Now you could get all of your signatures within one county, within one township. But then, as you mentioned, as that gets leaked, as different, different campaigns try to use this process to, to put out a message, that message could be, look, at, they only have support from one township. This district is more than this township. This is why you should support me. This is why our campaign is in the best shape to win. So over the years, Adam, as you've been behind the scenes in this in this fairly tedious, arduous process, what what 
I mean, I, I alluded to having volunteers stand outside of Wegmans, but that's probably the most inefficient uh, way of doing this because you don't know if there's people from Delaware or Ohio or wherever signing. You don't know if they're registered independents. They might not even be registered. So what are what are the best ways to do this? And in the process, you know, build a team spirit or esprit de corps with, uh, with your volunteers or the kitchen cabinet. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a great question. And as I, as you and I have talked, and I understand there's a you know many as far as say college students or different people that you know both as experts that listen to this, but then people that volunteer. And for depending on who you are getting signatures with, it's always good to check with the campaign on best practices. Because your example of standing outside a grocery store is actually a great way if you're volunteering for a say U.S. Senate race, who are currently as we speak gathering petitions because the odds of you know 10 people walk by you you get their signatures there's a good chance about eight out of those 10 will be registered in that county that you're gathering signatures and will qualify as a signature if you're going for a congressional you have a smaller chance of that those signatures actually counting down to the state rep level which i would not advise standing outside of a a grocery store because you've got now less than 50% chance that any of those people coming to the grocery store within that district. And then we get down to the committee person level where it's literally your neighborhood. You know, there's a good chance zero out of those 10 people go into your grocery store, even if that grocery store happens to be on the corner of where your house is. So it definitely depends on the other ways to circulate would be knocking on doors. Campaigns will provide lists. Um, Those will be registered Democrats within a certain region that they need to collect signatures. And you'll have lists to go specifically to those doors. And then you have a a third way, which is called, say they call them petition parties. And this is where they'll host, they'll reach out to their friends, family network and such to come to their house. Sometimes they'll invite their candidate. This is a good way for candidates. You'll, You'll see this online right now as you see different candidates, specifically the U.S. Senate candidates, maybe different candidates running for lieutenant governor or posting as they travel the state to these, what we're calling petition parties. And that might be just individuals unaffiliated with a local party, Republican or Democrat, or these might be the parties themselves, say the county chair of the Republican party might be throwing a petition for either their whole slate, different endorsed candidates, or different candidates that they are personally supporting. And this is why, as I kind of mentioned before, those committee person signatures at that granule level uh, make a big difference is because, you know, a county chair might be running a petition party for a U.S. senator, but might only be having the person that they've endorsed. And so and that could be as many as you, you hear stories of in some of these county uh, meetings, uh, a Senate candidate might walk away with close to 800 signatures in an hour. You knock on a door, um, within that hour, you might only be able to gather 30 to 50. So, so as you can imagine, a lot of these both endorsements and support and kind of organization play a huge role in the getting onto the ballot here in Pennsylvania. But this reminds me of something else that could strike a signature. So if we kept on talking about John, if John signs for one of the Republican gubernatorial candidates on a Sunday, and then another one of the candidates asks John to sign on a Tuesday, what happens to John's two signatures? So, so the, the law as written in Pennsylvania is you can only sign for one candidate and that first signature would be the signature that counts. What would be tougher to prove is if John comes in to the county party 
They've got tables for all the candidates. And he signs, he just goes down, doesn't look what office they're running for, signs for them all. Technically, technically, the table first that he signs would be, even though the date would be the same, would be the counting signature. Now, again, to prove that too, as far as we go into, and that's that's a, a story for a whole nother day, um, how I will, a lawyer might approach that. But as far as the law goes, and as far as uh, signatures go, for if there's two seats, as last year, we had two different availabilities for Commonwealth, then you could sign two different uh, petition pages. If there's you know, five seats for, for different different positions, you could buy, sign for five people, say for um, Philadelphia at-large candidates coming up this following year. This year for, for Congress, for, for Senate, for state representative, all of those, you could only sign for one person per cycle. So we've alluded to it, and this this happens, and I suppose all's fair in politics. But there's been um, there's there, there's been all sorts of fireworks in the past, and quite possibly in the coming weeks, uh, where folks literally get kicked off the ballot because of uh, just messy signatures. So if you can speak a little about uh, about that process as well, and uh, certainly if you're comfortable, share any uh, any war stories that you might have seen. Because well, so, it's obviously a lot easier to uh, <laughs> to run and not have a primary challenger than to uh, have to spend money on getting through a primary. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the, a good example, the, the most recently here in Philadelphia this past year in 2021, in Pennsylvania, we uh, run our judicial candidates for positions in odd years. And so 2021, there were a number of seats available for, for the county judge in Philadelphia. The county party had endorsed certain candidates. What they did was, and what you find historically, specifically with judicial races and even uh, larger, say, congressional races, is the higher person on the ballot here in Pennsylvania typically will get more votes. Um, in New Jersey, they have their ballots left to right. Um, so there's different columns that you'll have candidates in. Here in Philadelphia, it's you know north to south, so you have people on top of one another. If it's if it's so many, like say some of the judicials or city council in Philadelphia, you might have different kind of columns, you know, three or four, and then it'll start uh, folding in left to right. So with that being said, the candidates not endorsed last year for Philadelphia, the different participants in the uh, county party filed challenges. Uh, the person that that drew number one in Pennsylvania. We have your order, not by how many signatures you gather, not because you have raised more money or you're polling. It is literally drawing a number out of a hat. It's pure luck how you're ordered in the ballot. And someone that had drawn number one, historically in Philadelphia, if you drew number one, then you're almost automatically becoming a judge. The person challenging that ended up going to the Supreme Court, kind of some back and forth on that. And she was able to maintain and stay on the ballot. And this is for a judicial race that probably. You know, if you ask anyone in Philadelphia, they might not be able to remember one name running for uh, for judge. Um, that's how serious some of these different petition challenges will get. Well, Adam, you've been super generous with your time as we're right in the uh, the middle of this uh, frenzy. And uh, I would just be curious as we wind down, if you could give any advice to uh, the students or to volunteers, because this really is kind of the, the first tangible way, I suppose, that they can get involved in the, the political process. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would say the, the number one thing, as we kind of touched on earlier, is talking with the 
with the campaign, your friend, the people you're supporting, and finding out as far as best practices, best things that they would suggest. As we kind of mentioned, there's so much difference between county to county, state to state, and how this is doing. And, and if you've collected signatures for someone in the past, what might have applied to those, those petitions might be different this time. So definitely ask a lot of questions. From year to year, there are, there are constant changes. So, so if you've done this before, go into this with fresh eyes, ask a lot of questions. You can get some pointers. If you've never done this, then I, I, would, I would also recommend you know, just understanding that even those that have much more experience, you'll be starting at it in a similar way. This year is, has been a, a different year as, as those in Pennsylvania and a lot of other states as, as different congressional maps are being challenged and such. Um, it makes for qualifying for a ballot uh, much different. So like I said, I, I, this is a great time if you haven't gotten involved in a campaign, this is a great time to start. And more likely than not, you're going to be coming at it at a similar level as someone that might have been volunteering for campaigns for the past 20 years. So final question, uh, we don't have to get specifics, uh, maybe just yes or no. Do, do you think there'll be any surprises, meaning folks that have been going around the state, going around town, telling folks I'm running for office, but whoops, they messed up their petitions? I would say yes. I would say yes. I think I think we've got a number of be it celebrity candidates or otherwise and this is, as we've you know, reiterated over and over again, um, this is something you can't fake. You either have the signatures or you don't. You either have done things correctly and such. We've had this happen where, where people have gotten strong candidates who've raised more money than anyone else, but just, just missed a few boxes they didn't check or such um, and end up getting booted from the ballot. So I, I, I would, with, with a little bit of confidence, say we'll see one surprise this cycle. I got one, one final question because I distinctly remember this happening in uh, Senator Casey's 2006 uh, race. This didn't happen to us. It happened with, uh, with other candidates. Do you think that Daffy Duck or Mickey Mouse might uh, be signing any petitions uh, this season? <laughs> we might, we might see, see a few of them. And over the summer, we might see a few of them circulating petitions to try to get on the ballot as an independent. So absolutely. All right. Well, Adam, thank you so much for taking time out of the uh, the petition process to share with our uh, our listeners. And, uh, and congratulations also uh, on winning the uh, city and state 40 under 40 uh, list. But look forward to staying in close touch. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to a special episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Please join us for future episodes by subscribing. And while you're at it, give us a rating and a review. We love listener feedback, so drop us a note via our website, papoliticspodcast.org. And a very special thanks to Jake Schwartz for all his production assistance. I'm Ari Middleman, and this is Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics.